This is Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, two of the top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, one from California and one from Massachusetts, squaring off on legal news and legal observations. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams from sunny Southern California. And this is Bob Ambrogi from Massachusetts. I write the blog Law Sites, another blog Media Law, and also Legal Blog Watch for Law.com. Craig? And I write a blog called May It Please the Court. Bob, today we're going to be talking about the issue of faith, which has been a hot topic in the news lately. Presidential hopefuls trying to out-faith each other on the campaign trail to law schools spreading their faith in the classroom to the Supreme Court tackling the In God We Trust and Pledge of Allegiance issues. Faith somehow affects all of us in some shape or form. And of course, with me being in Massachusetts, uh, the, the talk here this week has been uh, presidential candidate Mitt Romney and his uh, his speech coming up this week on on his faith. But that's really not our topic today. We're going to talk about faith in legal education. Uh, many feel that uh, faith should be included as an aspect of the law school curriculum, while where others believe that. There should be a separation of, of church and state when it comes to teaching or practicing law. Today we're going to talk about faith and the law, how some are using faith to educate law students, this issues of separation of church and state, and how faith is coming to the forefront of the race for the presidency, and affecting present-day policy issues. So let's bring in our guests, and first of all, I would like to introduce uh, uh, Dean Jeffrey A. Brauk, who is Dean of the Regent University School of Law in Virginia Beach. Uh, Regent University was founded by Pat Robertson 20 years ago, and the law school opened its doors in 1996. Dean Brauk is a graduate of the University of Chicago's law school and the author of a 1999 book entitled, Is Higher Law Common Law?, Readings on the Influence of Christianity in Anglo-American Law. And I've also seen that uh, Dean Brock is also a blogger and, and writes a blog of his own. So welcome to the show, Dean Brock. Well, thank you. Great to be here. And our next guest is Robert Boston. Rob Boston has served as the Assistant Director of Communications for Americans United for Separation of Church and State and the Assistant Editor of Americans United monthly magazine Church and State for the last 20 years. He's the author of three books on the church-state relations and the religious right. Boston also serves as the spokesman for the American United, has appeared on NBC's Nightly News, CNN's Anderson Cooper, Fox News Channel's The O'Reilly Factor, and many other programs. He represents Americans United at speaking engagements throughout the country. Welcome to the show, Rob. Thanks for having me on. How is it that um, faith belongs in the courtroom? We'll ask that question to both of you. Well, I think that... um when you get to the business of educating law students, certainly faith has a, um, a role to play, and there's a history of looking at the origin of the law, uh, and that can be discussed. Uh, the law has some roots in religion. I mean, we can look at the Ten Commandments and see, obviously, that there's a influence there. Where I think some folks make a misstep is to claim that all law springs from religious codes or from the Bible. I think the law is informed by many sources over many centuries. And if you go to the Supreme Court, you'll see the frieze on the wall that shows the evolution of the law over many centuries. So it includes religious elements, but it has also been informed by secular elements as well. And as long as we sort of remember that, and the law school remembers that, I really don't think there'll be any problems. Dean Brock? Yeah, at Regent, uh, and I agree with what Rob shared there. Uh, we certainly don't at Regent tr- 
try to uh, indicate that only religion has had something to do with the development of law, but faith has had an important role in the development of law, and so we want to talk about that from a historical standpoint. Uh, but we also want to talk to our students, and this sort of goes to your question about faith in the courtroom. Uh, we think faith is an important thing that uh, determines how somebody's going to live and practice law, for example. And so we spend a lot of time at Regent talking about values that will affect how a lawyer ought to treat a client or an opposing lawyer or a judge uh, so that we can try to train people who are going to display humility, compassion, integrity, things like that in the practice of law. Well, litigation sometimes doesn't lend itself to turning the other cheek. Absolutely. It's a very difficult thing sometimes. Uh, I was a litigator for five years before I came to teach. And so one of the things I share with my students is the real temptation at times uh, to not just be aggressive and uh, excellent in representing your client, but to really treating the other side improperly or crossing lines or uh, you know, being tempted to hide or, or distort information. And so I think it's, it's really helpful. And one of the things we do at Regent is to have an open forum where we can talk about the difficulties that people have in practicing law with integrity and talking to them while they're still law students, before they're in the heat of battle, about how to uh, live lives of integrity, even as lawyers. Well, I went to uh, I, w- I went to Boston College Law School, which is, of course, a, a Catholic law school uh, many years ago. Uh, you would not know as a law student there necessarily that it was a Catholic school. Uh, religion was not really part of the curriculum. I, I see, Dean Brock, on, on, on your website and your own dean's message, you say that uh, one thing that distinguishes Regent is that religion is, is thoroughly integrated, or a Christian perspective is thoroughly integrated into the classroom. What do you mean by that? How does that play out? Well, part of it is what I've been talking about so far. It's in all of our classes. Let's say we're teaching civil procedure. Uh, we'll talk not only about the rules of civil procedure, but how one's faith or value should affect a lawyer who's engaged in the litigation system. Uh, another way would be to, in, a, in uh, let's say, a first-year course called Christian Foundations of Law, we talk about some of the things Rob mentioned at first. How has faith or uh, the Christian faith influenced the development of certain aspects of our legal system? And so we, we, wanna, we want our students not only to just know what the legal rules are, but why do we have them, and to analyze them from that perspective. Well, Rob, how does the separation of church and state play into the involvement of faith in, in the courtroom and in litigation and, and trying to educate students? I think that there is a sort of natural process that plays out as a, a student is educated in the law. And I should point out, I'm not a lawyer, so I haven't been to law school, but I, I do know that law schools are very competitive, and there are a lot of them out there. Uh, they seek to be accredited by the ABA, at least most of them do. So a school that, that teaches a foundation that's not useful in the courtroom isn't going to survive. Uh, if, if a lawyer goes into court and says to a judge, well, I should win this case because the book of Leviticus says I'm right, that's not going to go over too well in a secular courtroom in the United States. So, so schools like Regent that are really seeking a balance there of educating students about you know, what the secular law says, what the, the demands of secular law are, and, and maybe adding a little bit of a religious gloss to, to some of the instructions, I, I don't think that's such a bad thing. I mean, that is a school that has, over the years, 
I think, probably evolved and changed a good bit. Uh, Barry Lynn, who is the director of our organization uh, and is a Christian minister, has been invited to speak at Regent. So there's a spirit of, of academic freedom there and, and discourse uh, that is found in many law schools. Uh, I might not agree with everything that's taught in the classroom, but I don't think that this is a school that is uh, teaching the law from a Christian perspective and then telling its students, take this into the courtroom and you're going to win, because oftentimes a person's personal religious beliefs or an appeal to a, a holy book isn't going to be persuasive in the courtroom. Yeah, we've very much enjoyed having Barry Lynn uh, visit us. It's been a great experience because our goal is really to have a, a forum that's an open forum where we discuss the big issues of the day openly and fully uh, from lots of perspectives. And, and he's, it was very uh, enjoyable to have him here. To what extent does uh, the school integrate religious teachings from, from other religious disciplines outside of uh, Christianity? In, we certainly emphasize a Christian perspective, but we have students who come from different religious traditions, and we certainly engage those students on their religious traditions. Uh, we also talk about natural law and how natural law might affect legal issues, and that's been shaped very much by, I guess, the Christian tradition, but Christianity is not the only faith that believes that there is uh, there are a set of legal or a set of moral principles that ought to inform our lives and law. And so to that effect, we certainly talk about other faiths as well. Wait, does that mean, are there students who are from other faiths at the school? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I, again, I know from reading your website that, 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 that the Christians' faiths represented represent a broad spectrum of, of, of Christian faiths. I mean, it's not a single, uh, a single perspective. That's right. I mean, there's a, a wide denominational diversity among our Christian students, uh, but we've had Jewish students, Hindu students, and students who come really not uh, a part of any particular faith. Most of our students come as Christian students, though. We've talked a lot about separation of church and state, and I guess what, what I wonder is, as, as these students graduate from Regent, what, uh, how does that color their perspective on that issue in, in the practice of law? If I could respond to that, um, I, I do think, and this is where, where the dean and I may part company a little bit, uh, obviously um, Pat Robertson founded the school with the, the idea that it would have an impact on legal rulings and legal culture. Pat Robertson is not exactly a fan of the concept of separation of church and state. He's you know, attacked that principle over the years. And um, he, he wanted these lawyers to, to go into um, society and to go into the court and argue for a, a lower wall of separation. And the American Center for Law and Justice, which is another group that he founded, does that in the court. Now, of course, our attorneys oppose that in court. We fight that in court. We support the right of Pat Robertson or anybody else to make his arguments in court. That's what the system is all about. It's adversarial, and whoever has the best argument will win. Uh, but we do have some concerns about the attempt to lower or remove entirely the wall of separation. Uh, that, that We believe that that would be bad for both government and faith. Well, let me tell you about the students and what they do when they leave here. Uh, most of them go into traditional law practices. Most are not dealing with church-state issues, although, as I'll mention in a minute, some do. Uh, but most go into traditional practices. Uh, a large number come here because their faith has has cause them to think, I want to do something to serve others. And so we send a very high percentage of our students compared with other law schools into public interest work. Many go to serve the poor. 
Uh, some go into human rights work. And so the faith perspective shapes our students and their careers in that way as well. Now, Rob is right that some of our students want to go into the public arena, maybe as public officials or uh, doing church-state litigation. Although I will have to tell you that in no way do we teach here, wow, we ought to get rid of the line of separation between church and state, because I think we believe institutionally it's an important principle, separation institutionally between church and state. Where Rob and I probably differ is, does faith or do religious values have any place in public life? And many of our students, although they're committed to the institutional separation between church and state, would not want government control over the state or church control over the the state. Um, Believe very strongly that moral principles should influence public policy. Dean Bragg, how do you uh, come out on the issue uh, raised by Michael Niedauer in the in his challenge to uh, the Pledge of Allegiance and removing uh, the, the reference to God in it and removing "In God We Trust" from our our uh, paper bills? Well, I'll preface this by saying I'm not a constitutional law scholar, but my basic perspective is: I mean, historically, um, there's no doubt that faith has had an important place in the founding of the country. Historical references to things like that simply reflect um, the founding of the country and and its its history, and it's an important part of the history. In no way does having something like that on the currency or on a pledge state that we're favoring one religious group or another. In no way does it establish a church or denomination as the church or denomination of the United States. And so... I don't think, from what I've read, that the founders would have had a problem with it. Rob? Yes, I, I take a little bit of a different view. Uh, I think it was, it was a mistake to add under God into the Pledge of Allegiance, which, of course, was something done in the 1950s. The original pledge didn't have those words in there. And the reason I think it's a mistake is because it requires a person to make an affirmation of religion to to show their patriotism. And it's possible for a person to be non-religious and patriotic at the same time. So to, to sort of blend those two together, I, I think, was a mistake. However, having said that, I think it's also pretty obvious that uh, the Supreme Court at this time isn't interested in revisiting this issue. I was actually in the courtroom when Dr. Newdow argued his case before the Supreme Court uh, in the press gallery I was watching. And um, even justices that normally are favorable to separation of church and state, like David Souter, were signaling that, that they did just didn't think that this was a very important issue. So I have to ask, is it really productive at this time to bring a case into the federal courts when you have the almost certain knowledge that you cannot win it? And I don't think that's a, that's a good thing to do. You can't read uh, about Regent these days without at least uh, touching on, uh, at least in the blogosphere, the criticism of the school over the incident uh, with with a student who, who posted a, a derogatory photo on his website of the chancellor. And yet, you read uh, in, in U.S. News and elsewhere that, that students rank the school high for quality of life. Uh, how does the how does the the, the religious uh, perspective of the school influence the the, uh, the student body? Uh, is there is there censorship? Is there an expectation that students will toe a certain line? Uh, the student environment is excellent. I mean, as you say, Princeton Review ranks us extremely high every year in terms of quality of student life. It's something that I think reflects the close relationship that students have with one another, and especially the relationship that students and faculty members have. It's, a, it's an environment where 
professors spend a lot of time with students and encourage them. Every school in the country has standards of personal conduct. And I, I should tell you up front, for obvious reasons, I can't talk about the lawsuit. And more will come out undoubtedly about this. Uh, but I will tell you that in every law school in the country, there are going to be standards dealing with personal conduct. Law schools have an important role in training professionals. We're going to go out and practice with professionalism and civility in courtrooms in the country. And uh, so Regent has a, a code of conduct like that. Um, but that said, there's great freedom to speak and to act. And uh, I think our students would, if you came down, would share that with you. Rob, we've noticed, uh, I'm going to switch gears for a moment here on the, to switch over to the presidential uh, debates and the, the race. We've noticed that faith has become an important part of the discussion among the candidates and seems as if uh, they're all trying to show that you know, they are faith-based and got a lot of belief in, in, the, in that type in the system. How does that play into the issues of separation of church and state when you have political candidates uh, putting out their personal beliefs? Yeah, I do have to wonder how much this issue is important to the average voter. It seems to be an obsession with the media. Uh, I remember at one of the Democratic debates, you know, Hillary Clinton was asked to, to say what she prays for, and John Edwards was asked, what's the worst sin you've ever committed? And candidates have been asked if they interpret the Bible literally and how often they go to services and so on. Uh, and it, it seems to me that the average person out there is more interested in things like the war in Iraq, the state of the economy, the housing market, uh, and the sort of bread and butter issues. But there is this obsession with religion in the media, and it's been fueled by a couple of trends recently. The, the rise of Mitt Romney, who you know is the first Mormon, serious Mormon candidate to really seek the presidency. Suddenly, Mike Huckabee's on fire, and he's um, a minister and a, and a evangelical Protestant, so people are interested in that. Uh, it, we see this every election cycle. Um, I, I, think, I think in some ways it's a little bit unhealthy for our country because we are electing a chief executive who will preside over a country of 300 million people and probably 1,500 separate religions as well as folks who have no faith. We're not electing a pastor-in-chief. We're electing a chief executive, and we kind of need to keep that in mind. I have to agree with Rob that some of the questions asked are a bit goofy, I think. Uh, but I don't think that it's an irrelevant thing to want to know something about uh, the, the religious or moral values of a candidate, maybe for a couple of reasons. It, it tells you something about their character, what values they hold, and, and those things are important to voters just as specific positions on issues are important. Uh, but I think, too, if you look back at American history, uh, views on political issues or legal issues that are informed by faith have been very important in shaping the country. For instance, the civil rights movement, led by people like Martin Luther King Jr., these were people who were very much driven by their faith to the convictions that they reached. And so to have candidates talking about what they believe and why they believe it is certainly well within important traditions in this country. Unfortunately, we have reached about the end of our time, and as, as we said earlier, we'd like to give each of you an opportunity to give us your final thoughts before we... Before we leave you, uh, so Dean Brock, let's start with you. Well, first, thanks for having me on today. Um, and I've said I've enjoyed the conversation. I think Rob and I agree on many things. Uh, the separation of church and state is an important concept, but it's very important not to divorce faith from law or public policy. 
I mean, if we were to do that, we would ignore much of our history, and we would reject uh, many important developments that have occurred in this country because of people of faith and people who have, who have uh, applied moral principles to reach conclusions that they did. The end of slavery in this country, the civil rights movement, the commitment to human rights today are all shaped by moral principle and by faith. And so I agree with Rob. Let's be careful not to violate the institutional separation of church and state. But please don't go too far and say faith or morality has no role in our system. And I'm thankful to be teaching at a law school that is training students to live their faith, to be men and women of integrity, and to appropriately use their faith and moral convictions in the public sphere. And Dean, what's the best way for our listeners to follow up with you if they'd like to learn more or talk to you further? best way is probably our website, www.regent.edu, and would love to hear from them. Thank you very much. And Robert Boston, your final thoughts? I would just say a, a couple of things. Um, number one, the, um, when, when we look at politics, we have to remember the politicians are in the job of getting elected, or at least that's what they want to have happen. So they may say things that uh, are not necessarily jibing with how they live their lives. So I would uh, advise folks to look at actions and not just words. Uh, Newt Gingrich talks a lot about Christianity and how important it is to our founding and how much it, it, it's a great thing. But I would not tell my children to look at Newt Gingrich's behavior as, as a moral example. Uh, I would say there may probably is a moral atheist out there somewhere that uh, is a better example than Newt Gingrich. Uh, secondly, I would say that the, um, the separation of church and state, when I look at our country, I see it as one of the really unique American contributions to the world and a great success story. It has allowed religion to flourish. We have many, many different faiths in this country. They tend to live together in harmony, and they, they pay their own way. And I think that that is because of the separation of church and state. So I do support a, a high wall there, and I think it's important uh, to our American identity and to the continued success of faith communities in this nation. And Rob, how can our listeners follow up with you? The best way is to just come to our website. It's very simple, uh, au. We really appreciate both of you participating in the show this morning, and thank you uh, for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you. And we'll be back after a short break with a special guest. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. Lawyer to Lawyer is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. If you have a comment or question, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message on the Legal Talk Network listener line at 781-634-8959. We really do listen to the messages and even answer your questions on our next show. Did you know that Legal Talk Network shows are also available as CLE? 
Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's CLECenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit for your continuing legal education. Check out our Lawyer to Lawyer host blogs, J. Craig Williams' blog at mayofpleasetheport.com, likewise Robert Ambrogi's blog at LegalLine.com for daily legal observations, perspective, and, of course, a healthy dose of humor and wit. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years' experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams. And this is Bob Ambrogi, and we're joined for this segment of the show uh, by a special guest and good friend of mine, Monica Bay, the editor-in-chief of Law Technology News. Welcome to the show, Monica. Thanks, and I want to give a special welcome to Craig because our listeners might not know that Craig has just joined the LTN Editorial Advisory Board, and we're just thrilled to have him. And Bob, as the readers I'm sure know, has been with LTN for the entire 10 years that I have been there as our fabulous web watch columnist. So it's a That's right, ever since I was 15 years yeah, old. Absolutely. It's, it's sort of scary. This month marks my 10th anniversary with LTN, and I've... Wow, that's exciting. Congratulations. Well, and, you, and you have a special announcement to make, uh, and that's the reason we have you on. Uh, maybe you could tell our listeners what's going on. Oh, uh, well, two things. Uh, first of all, we have just launched a new podcast, so I'm going to be joining your ranks... Uh, on the podcast world. It's a joint project between Law.com, Law Technology News, and the Legal Talk Network, and it's called LTN, of course, Law Technology Now. That's a really exciting program, and what kind of things are you going to be covering on it? Well, the concept is that every month we will showcase one of the authors who has written for that month's issue of LTN, and uh, our first issue. We had a, another longtime member of the edit board, David Whalen, who spoke about uh, RSS feeds and how legal practitioners can use RSS feeds to track more than just blogs, to monitor all sorts of information they can use in their practice. And our January show is going to feature uh, George Radoy, who is with Sherman and Sterling. He is their director of global practice technology and information services. And we're going to talk about the EDD showcase in our January issue, which is going to be addressing, among other things, international issues and doing discovery with multiple languages. So it's going to be a, a very interesting conversation. So how long is your program, how long does it last, and how often will it be available? Well, it's about 15 to 20 minutes, and it will be done once a month. It's timed to air 
right after we come to press and go online with the issue. So you can look for it probably the second or the third day of the month. The inaugural program featuring David Whalen is already up online, and there's about 300 places you can find it. But the, the two most convenient are our domain, www.lawtechnologynow.com. You can get it on the Legal Talk Network, which is www.legaltalknetwork.com. And, of course, there will be links on the Common Skull, the Law Technology News website, EDD Update, and I'm told we'll even get it on iTunes. So it's, it's pretty easy to find. I recently discovered that my college-age son has been downloading my podcast on iTunes, so that was the greatest thrill I've ever had. That's super. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing I wanted to share with your readers is we have a uh, nascent brand-new blog, which um, Bob is one of our authors on, called EDD Update. And we launched that in late September and it has just exploded. It's a great little format. We have it's another joint project with Law.com and and uh, LTN and my colleague Sean Doherty and I are the uh, chief bottle washers with the able assistance of Claire Duffett, our news editor. Then we have about a dozen um, authors all of whom are members of either Sean's editorial board or my editorial board at LTN. And that thing has just taken off like no tomorrow. We've had more than 12,000 hits in the eight weeks it's been up. And our comment rate is about one to three. You know, for every three posts, we get a comment. So we're just slightly shy of ecstatic about that. Um, and, Bob, you've been kind enough. I think you have, too, Craig, to write about it, and I, I really appreciate it. Watch out, Craig. You're a new member. You may get roped into this if, you, <laughs> if you're not careful. You may find yourself as an author. I can probably handle that. Good. Monica, you've been a blogger for a good long time. How do you find the transition now that you've got a podcast under your belt to go from blogging to doing uh, podcasting? Well, um, believe it or not, my roots are in radio. I did uh, uh, radio in Minnesota and Sacramento and other venues and used to do uh, uh, programming that would air at 4 o'clock in the morning with fascinating people. So this, I, I wrote today in my blog, this is kind of coming full circle. It's I really love it. Every media has unique uh, opportunities. Uh, Print's different from TV, which is different from podcasts and blogs. And it's just so much fun to look at how you can use each type of format um, and make them accessible. I I have friends who throw their podcasts on their iPods and and listen to them on commutes. it's just fascinating to me how the technology has just escalated so quickly, and it, 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 it's interesting to see how we can repurpose our knowledge. And, and you know, I might write a story on my blo- article on my blog, which then I am able to shift and put on into the print edition. And I'm finding that one of the most interesting aspects of the different media formats, um, how I'm able to to use information in so many different formats. And what what has led you to want to add a podcast to the into the uh, the broad array of all the things you're involved in? I know you're doing webinars, you've yep. got the magazine going, uh, all sorts of things. What 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 caused you to want to do a podcast? Well, it's something that that my my former boss Kevin Vermeulen and I had talked about for for more than a year and um 
uh, we just decided that the time was right. Uh, we, we had the opportunity to do this fabulous partnership with the Legal Talk Network, and a few months ago, my job uh, switched a little bit because I was running um, Law Firm Inc. magazine. And I sat down with my bosses and said, you know, I really would prefer to spend more of my time on Law.com and online efforts on my, you know, for lack, to use a jargon word, my core competence. And everybody thought that was a great idea. So part of it was handing over Law Firm Inc. to my colleague Robin Sparkman um, and being able to have the time to do these. I do a lot of public speaking um, and spend probably about 40, 40 to 50% of my time on the road at, at various conferences and speaking. So it's kind of a natural offshoot. I know both of you do the same. What do you, how do you feel about how it, how it integrates with your other projects? It just seems the most fun I have all week. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's a, it's a real joy because like you, I was in radio before uh, I graduated from actually when I was in high school. Um, so it's, it is coming back full circle and being able to enjoy some of the things that you've done before. Well, Monica, it's just about time for us to wrap up the show. Um, we'd like to get, uh, your final thoughts and also your contact information and point our listeners to your blog, your new podcast and where they can find, uh, blog technology news. Well, thank you. I'll try to rattle them off very quickly. The new podcast, once again, can be found either at www.lawtechnologynow.com dot com or the Legal Talk Network at www.legaltalknetwork.com. Our LTN website is sounds just like the prior one, only it's www.lawtechnologynews.com. I have this habit of getting domain names made up quickly to match products, so it won't surprise anyone that the that the common scold is www.thecommonscold.com and EDD update is www.eddupdate.com. So fairly easy to remember, I hope, and we welcome any comments. The easiest way to reach me is uh, Law Technology Now at ALM.com if you'd like to email me. Well, welcome to the neighborhood. We're very happy to have you here, and I'm going to run right over and listen to your first podcast. Well, thank you, and it's such a pleasure to be on with both of you. You're both my heroes and and um, role models, and, and I'm just so grateful to all the wonderful time and effort and work you you donate to our uh, publications. Thank you so much. You're very kind. Thank you, Monica. Thanks. Well, Bob, that's it for Lawyer to Lawyer today. We've had uh, Dean Brout, Rob Boston, and the newest addition to the Legal Talk family, Monica Bay. Bob, we'll be talking to you next week. I'll talk to you next week, Craig. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thanks again for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with Jake Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.